Hey there, and welcome to the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We're honored you've chosen to join us today. In a few moments, Senior Pastor Alan Miller will launch into this week's teaching. Before that, though, we'd like to encourage you to also check out our website, firstmissionary.net, where you can find out more about what the Lord is doing in our local body and how you can get involved. Now here's Alan with this week's teaching. Today, we're back again in Matthew chapter 28. We're looking at what is known as the Great Commission. We've been doing this mini-series over the last three weeks. Uh, this is actually, there, there is actually so much there in the text and so much related to uh, this subject of the Great Commission. We could probably, probably make an entire series of Matthew 28 verses 16 through 20. We could probably make an entire series of this. There's so many subjects and topics and ideas and thoughts that we could run down and chase down and, and tackle in this. Um, we're just trusting God from week to week as we deal with this, uh, this passage of Scripture. But I'm very excited about what the Lord has revealed to us this week in our time and our study and what we're going to get to share with you today. Wow. The great commission. It's been said that the body of Christ rises and it falls on its understanding of the Great Commission. As some others have said that if it, wa- if it weren't for the Great Commission, then the gospel would have never come to us, that we would not have, not have the hope in Christ that we have today. And so, so I just want to encourage you in that, that no matter where you are no matter what's been going on in your life, uh, no matter where you come from, no matter what your past looks like, no matter how uncertain your future might even be, the greatest hope that you have in life is that there's someone who will walk with you, who will guide you, who will encourage you, someone who, who died for you, someone who has released you from shame, guilt, and fear. Oh, Who the Son makes free is what? Is free indeed. Someone who will offer you freedom and joy and peace no matter what you go through in your life. All of that comes to us. The hope that we have in Christ comes to us because there were people who believed that the Great Commission in some form or fashion applied to their life. And when those first disciples and followers died off, There were people who took up the mantle of the gospel and brought it into your life and into my life. And I'm telling you, faith in Christ makes all the difference in the world. So we are so encouraged and so blessed because people brought the gospel to us. And the great privilege and opportunity that we have is to be able to share and express that same love with people we come into contact with. In fact, today, you might be searching, you might be looking, you might not even, you might not even know for sure where you land today in regards to faith. Uh, I pray today in the service, in what we've been seeing, what we are sharing, what we're talking about, that there's been glimmers of hope that have been broadcasted to you in the name of Jesus, and that you are being encouraged 
in finding hope in Christ even today. So, wow, what a great opportunity we have to come and to learn more about these last words of Jesus. Last words are so important so many times. They convey what's on a person's heart, what's really important to them, what they want to transmit, what they want to pass along. And in the Great Commission, we have some of the last words of Christ. Now, there's three foundational assumptions or convictions, if you will, that I believe we are to have in coming to the Great Commission. Three foundational convictions. And here's what they are. We've been talking about them the last couple of weeks. Number one, that the human heart is depraved. Uh, Jeremiah said that it is that it is wicked. He said the human heart is sick. Who can understand it? This is why the Apostle Paul would say uh, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Why? Because the human heart is depraved. It, it is sinful. All the problems and issues we see in our world today that we even deal with so many times in our lives is because of the sinful condition of the human heart. The second foundational conviction we have in coming to the Great Commission is we believe that through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, the human heart can be changed. That there is hope for the sick heart. And hope for the sick heart is found through faith in Jesus Christ. And so when someone gives their life to Christ and the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of them, they are regenerated. They are made new. There's hope for the human heart. So in review, real quick, the human heart is depraved. It is wicked. It is sinful. But there is hope for the human heart through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. And then number three, the third, and if you're taking notes today, in, on the back of your bulletin, great place for you to jot some things down. This message title today is the third part of what the Great Commission really is. What the Great Commission really is. The third foundational conviction we're to have is that once our hearts have been changed by the Spirit, then our hearts will reflect the heart of Christ and our hearts will be broken for those who are far from God. The human heart is sinful. There's hope for the human heart. Once the human heart is changed and there's faith in Christ, then your heart reflects His heart and you will have a heart for those who are far from God. So when the Great Commission Comes, these words of Christ to his disciples, when it comes and we hear it, it should resonate in our hearts. Yes and amen. Yes and amen. Yes and amen. I can't think of anything better to do with my life than to share the love and the hope of Christ. Yes. And amen. And if, if by some chance that does not resonate with my heart, then maybe my heart has yet to experience the change that only faith in Christ.
Christ will bring through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. If it doesn't resonate with my heart and I'm not finding myself going, yes and amen, then maybe there's something within me that I need to examine or re-examine in my life. Now, I told you last week that when you come to the Great Commission and what we're going to be sharing today, that this is going to be maybe more like a grammar lesson than maybe a Bible study. But to really do effective Bible study, you need to understand the biblical text. Have you ever, or do you think people ever find themselves at the mercy of the English language? Let me say that again. Do you think people ever find themselves at the mercy of the English language? If not, then I would challenge you to read the words in the song, My Old Kentucky Home. If you don't think people are ever at the mercy of the English language, then I would encourage you to read all the words of the original version of My Old Kentucky Home. Now what was acceptable back when that was written, and I believe, I believe, I didn't research this, but was that not written by Stephen Foster? Pat, you got a year for us? Stephen Foster, when was that written? Yeah, a long time ago. There you go. Good enough. That's close enough, right? There's actually some, some terminology in my old Kentucky home that I would, I would, in the original verse, I would not dare say today. I wouldn't do it. It would be very uh, racially offensive to a lot of people. I would not say that original version because the way, not just culturally, but the way what the English language communicates. There's also a part in my old Kentucky home that, that has to be explained when it's sung or it's taught. Actually, I had a teacher to tell me week before last that whenever her students, like in her classroom, uh, sometimes they'll read a more modern version of My Kentucky, Old Kentucky Home or sing it. She has to explain some of the terminology in it because of the way the English language has changed. That what words mean at one point or one era of time, those same words do not convey the same thing today. So, so we understand that so often we are at the mercy of the English language and how it changes. And aren't you glad, aren't you glad for the most of you today, that you know the English language and that you do not find a communication barrier when you're talking to someone else who speaks English. Now, I know some of you wives, you look at your husband when they try to communicate to you and you're thinking, you're talking a foreign language. I understand that. We struggle in the area of communication, not just what you say, but also what you mean. We're at the mercy of language in so many ways. Now, what you have in your biblical text, what you read in English is a translation. You're reading a translation from another text. 
and the original text or the manuscript that your English is taken from is written in the language of Jesus' day and time, and that is the Greek language. So for those who would know that common Koine Greek language of Jesus' day, for them to read it in its original text and context, they would get it. They would understand. It would mean even so much more to them because they would know the original language than maybe even some of us who are at the mercy of the English translation. And there is no place in Scripture that is as challenged in that regard as the Great Commission. There are three participles that are used in the Great Commission. I told you last week that if you really want to understand what the Great Commission is really about, it's understood in four words. Three of them are participles, and one of them is what we call a verbal a verbal command, if you will, or an imperative, an imperative verb. And now you're thinking, what in the world, Brother Allen, are you talking about? First of all, why is this important? This is important because to understand the Great Commission is to really, it is to really understand what Jesus is telling us today. I believe that the Great Commission applies to us today. I believe that this is to be taken to heart for us today. I believe that the future generations and even people around the world today, if they're going to have the same hope that you and I have in Christ, then we are to have a heart that fulfills these words here and takes that hope to them, wherever they might be and wherever they might be found. Even when they cross your path, not necessarily you crossing their path, but when they cross your path. So I believe that we take these to heart. This is going to answer the question, what is Jesus really telling us to do? What is Jesus really telling us to do? And the second part of it is this. How do we do it? Have you ever had someone to tell you something to do, but they didn't show you how to do it? And you've never done it before? Hey, one of the greatest joys of my life is when Brady and I get to go out and we do things, things maybe he's never done before, but maybe things that were taught to me by my dad or my granddad or somebody else, and I get to go out with him and experience these things, and I get to show him, show him how to do something. Just telling somebody what to do is not enough. There needs to be an understanding of how to do it. That's where we come to participles. In the English language, participles are words that typically end with I-N-G. They're known as verbal adjectives and they describe an action. For example, the word running, talking, walking, swimming. In the English language, participles usually typically end with I-N-G. Running, walking, swimming, talking, working, whatever it is. Typically ends with I-N-G and it describes how something is done. 
But a verbal imperative tells you to do something. It tells you what to do. I could say, stop! Just stop! I could say, run! Run! Fight! Eat! Eat! It just tells you simply what to do. But the others tell you how to do it. Let me give you a couple of examples. I could say, watch this, clean the house. Or rather, clean the kitchen. Mopping the floors. Wiping the countertop. Washing the dishes. In the washing, and the wiping, and the sweeping, I've told you what, I've told you how to clean the kitchen. Here's your another example. I could say, and I say it to my, my daughter who is 17, almost 18 years of age, as she's driving, has her own car now, I will tell her, service your car. Get your car service, right? Service your car. Say that to you. Service your car. Changing the oil. Checking the tire pressure. Inspecting the belts and hoses. Now, some of you guys are going, honey, you need to be paying attention to this, right? In the inspecting, in the checking, in the changing, I've told you how to do what? How to service the car. In the Great Commission, Jesus just doesn't tell us what to do, but He tells us how to do it. And watch this in the biblical text today. We'll start at verse 16. But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying... All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And last week, excuse me, last week we talked about the fact that it seems that what Jesus is doing here is he's taking the authority that's been given to him and he's given that same authority to his followers. When you've been given authority, it means that you have been authorized. You've been authorized. To do what you've been told to do. Jesus will also tell his disciples at another place, not only would they receive the authority, but they would also receive the power. He said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. So not only have we been authorized and given the authority to take this love into the world, but we have been given the power to do it. You can have the power, but not the authority. You can have the authority, but not the power. The two separated from themselves are useless. The two separated from themselves are useless. If you have the power, but you don't have the authority, or if you have the authority, but you don't have the power. Church, wake up. We have the authority, and we have the power. 
to do what Jesus has called us to do. So there's no can't in the Christian language. There's no can't. I, I don't have the power. Yes, you do. I don't have the right. Yes, you do. And what a wonderful opportunity and privilege it is to be able to live in this world knowing that you've been authorized and you've been empowered to express and share the hope and the love of Christ. Wow. No one has to come along after Christ and give you additional authority or power. He's already given to you everything that you need to live this life. So then in verse 19, in the English language, this is how it reads. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So many times when you read the Great Commission and you think about, okay, what has Jesus called us to do? Some people will say, He's called us to go. And guess what? So many of us would be out of this thing from the first word because not all of us have gone or are going or will go into the nations of the world. So somebody can say, unless you're going into the nations of the world. And by the way, watch this. The text does not say to all the world necessarily, or even to the earth. The word here that is translated as nations is the same word that we get ethnicity from. And what Jesus was trying to get his disciples to understand was, listen, all of us guys living right here in Jerusalem for the Jewish background, Jesus wants to be known. I want to be known. I want my gospel taken to all the ethnicities of the world. It's not just for you kind of people. It's for all people. Wow. It's to all the nations. All the ethnicities. And I'm telling you right now that in the United States of America, we have the world coming to us. Just drive down the road to Murray State University. Their, you know, their, their international program is exploding. You see all kinds of people moving into our area. And there's people, there's Christians. And I don't understand it for the life of me. Who will say, we don't want those kind of people around here. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? But they're different. Are you kidding me? They have different religious backgrounds. Are you kidding me? They have different lifestyles. Are you kidding me? So many times we think the Great Commission is going into all the nations, but I'm telling you, the nations are coming to us. And it's not anything that we can be afraid of, but it's something that we can boldly say, you know what? They're coming here. It's easier to impact the nations today than it's ever been before. You don't have to go to be a part of the Great Commission. Not to say 
that God doesn't work in short-term mission trips or long-term mission trips or mission. He calls people to do that. And I thank God that He does. Over 3 billion people on this planet today do not have access to the gospel. Over 6,000 people groups are unreached. Someone needs to go. And for those of us who haven't been called to go, our hearts should bleed and break for those who do go. Because we're hoping and praying for the same thing. But, listen to me, the verbal imperative is not go. It's not go. You're at the mercy of the English language here, even in the translation. That's not a verbal imperative. Some people say, well, it's the next one. The next part, to, to make disciples. Did you know that in the original text, and in the Greek language, the noun, disciples, is not there. Disciples is not there. And then you have the other two participles. You have baptizing and you have teaching. Say, Brother Allen, what in the world does this mean? Here's what it means. The word that is often translated as go, that's the first participle. That's the first participle. Which could be easily translated as going. As going, as going, or rather, as you are going. What do you mean as I am going? As you are going, as you live your life. This first part, this word here, translated as go, it is a participle. It's in a raw way. It's best translated as going, as you are going, as you live in your life. Listen, folks, you all have well-worn paths in your life of what you do and where you go and who you interact with. You go to Walmart, you go to work, you go to school, you have a neighborhood, you have a community. The heart of what Jesus is saying is, as you guys are going in the world, as you are going about your life, as you're going about your everyday routine, going is the first part of simple. It tells us how to do the command. You say, well, what's the other two? The other two, baptizing and teaching, those are the other two participles. So it's going, and then it's baptizing, and it's teaching. And you say, okay, well, what is the verbal command? What is the verbal imperative? What is Jesus telling us to do? It's in the second word. And there's not a noun. But it's the word disciple. I'll show you a slide real quick. The first slide in this, I think we have it in the back. This is how we often see the text. Verbal imperative, go! And a lot of us, we're done even there because we haven't gone. And so some people say, great commission's not for me. And then other people say, well, yeah, it is. And if you don't go... Verbal imperative, you're not doing what Jesus told you to do. And then they say, and here's the second verbal imperative. Make disciples. That's what you're to do. Make disciples. In the Greek language, the word disciple is not here as a noun. 
It's just simply disciple, disciple, disciple. As a verb, disciple. As you are going, disciple. Disciple. I can't make a disciple. It's not like an object that I fashion or somebody's my project. Oh, well, here's a lost soul. I'm going to make them a disciple. No, I can't make a disciple, but I can disciple. And I disciple as I am going about my life. When I go to work, when I go to school, when I go to Walmart, when I go on family vacation, love family trips, love family vacation trips because we get to talk and we get to share and we get to challenge each other. And we're talking about matters of faith and things that we're dealing with. Love it. Are you getting the picture that the Great Commission is not something that you turn off and you turn on. It is not something you go to do. But the Great Commission is as you are going about your life, you have discipleship on your heart and your mind. You disciple. The other part of this is baptizing. Baptizing. And teaching. So here's your next slide. This is how in the original language we are to see this slide number two. Can y'all see that with me? Going disciple. Baptizing teaching. Baptizing means as it was with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. He meets this guy who's reading the book of Isaiah. And he's asking, he says, do you understand what you're reading? Ethiopian eunuch says, how can I understand how somebody tells me? And the scripture says that Philip, from that place in the scripture of Isaiah, preached Christ to him. And then what happens? They tried down the road. And you know what happens next? The Ethiopian eunuch looks at Philip and says, oh, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? And then the scripture says in verse 38 that Philip takes him into the water and baptizes him. That by all practical appearances, the baptizing part is helping people to come to a point of commitment and faith in Christ. It's helping people to come to a point of faith and commitment to Christ. And then that faith and commitment is affirmed in what? It is affirmed in baptism. I know, I know, I know, I know. I know students today who are struggling with assurance of their salvation because they haven't been baptized yet. And that's not to say that there's salvation in the baptismal waters, but there's affirmation that you're a child of God. Today we sang the song, I am who you say I am. I am a what? I am a, I am a child of God that is declared, that is made known through baptism. And I know students today, I got a text message just the other day from a student who's been struggling for the last couple of years with having assurance of her faith because she's yet to affirm it through baptism. And I can say, you know Jesus, you accepted Jesus, but I'm telling you, 
if you will take the steps of baptism in your life, then you can walk on and start maturing in your walk in the Lord. So this has become more of a hurdle for her in finding assurance. Here's a big one. Here's a big one. Based on what we see in the biblical text, has Jesus authorized and given us the power to fulfill the Great Commission? This is not a trick question. This is not a trick question. Has Jesus authorized and empowered His followers, us, to do or fulfill the Great Commission? This is not a trick question. Has Jesus authorized and empowered us to fulfill or to do the Great Commission? The answer is yes. And part of that Great Commission is as you are going, you baptize. Here's the question of the day. Who? Who can baptize? Years ago, I was taught that unless you were authorized specifically by a local church, you could not baptize someone. Unless you were authorized specifically by a local church, you could not physically baptize someone. Philip, when the Ethiopian eunuch said to him, Oh, here's water. What hinders me? Philip did not go back to the church of Jerusalem and get authorization so he could then take the Ethiopian eunuch and baptize him. Why? Because Philip, like you and like me, had already been authorized, empowered by the Lord Jesus Christ to baptize. That's why we in our church over the last several years have included people in the discipleship process, a parent, a, a sister, a brother, somebody to come along when someone's being baptized and to be there and to connect them with that baptism. I don't have to authorize you. Jesus has authorized you. And it's one of the most beautiful things to see a father walk into those baptismal waters with his son or his daughter and baptize him. Nobody here today would say there's parts of the Great Commission that we're not authorized to do. We would say we've all been authorized and empowered to fulfill the Great Commission. And the part of the Great Commission is baptizing. Well, what if a grandfather baptizes his daughter in the swimming pool? Who cares? point is not all of those things that our traditions have added on to it. It's the pure heart to see people accept Jesus and to follow Him in that proclamation that I've received Christ as my Lord. And they come back and they say, 
I know of a grandfather who's with his granddaughter in Gatlinburg a few years ago. She professed her faith in Christ that summer. They were in Gatlinburg together. And he said to her, would you like for us to get together with the family and me baptize? She said, granddad, nothing would be mean more to me than that. Why was he able to do it? Because he'd been authorized and empowered by Jesus Christ to fulfill the Great Commission. And then teaching. Teaching. This may be the toughest part of this. But let me summarize real quick before we get to teaching. On the point of bringing people to a commitment to faith in Christ, are you beginning to realize that the Great Commission goes beyond evangelism? A lot of times people think it's just evangelism. It's not that. Discipling. To disciple. And here's what that means. It means that I'm going to influence somebody's life in such a way that they themselves will become a disciple of Jesus Christ. I disciple verb with a view that someone will become a disciple. A noun. Did you get that? I disciple, I come along people in their lives in such a way that hopefully they themselves will become a disciple of Jesus. I disciple, verb, with the view that someone will become a disciple, a noun, a follower, a committed follower of Jesus Christ. That's why the translators put make disciples, to make it clear for us. But we do what we do with the view that someone will become a disciple of Jesus Christ. The Great Commission implies that you yourself are a disciple. And you disciple with a view that others will become a disciple. And what we need people to really understand, and we need everybody to understand this, discipleship is a lifelong journey. You don't dunk them and then let them go. You walk with them. You do life with them. And if you're looking for a model, a model of discipleship, look no further than Jesus himself. He was a disciple of God the Father. And he spent time with God the Father. And he sought the heart of God the Father. And, and he fellowshiped with others who had a heart for God the Father. And he prayed to God the Father. He submitted his will to God the Father. His life was sold out to God the Father. And because Jesus was a disciple, you get to be a disciple of Jesus. And you get to know God the Father the same way Jesus knew God the Father. And this is eternal life. That you might know God. That's what this is about. Knowing the heart of God and helping other people in their journey to know the heart of God. Disciples, disciple with a view that others will become a disciple. 
I think it's a picture that in my life, as God will use other people to pour and to invest in me, He'll take what's been poured and invested in me. And I'll do the same in the life of another. Listen to this. It's almost like Jesus was saying, I lead the people that I am with as I'm going along to commit their lives to Jesus Christ, which is initially done by leading them into the public affirmation of their faith in Jesus. And that's first steps of baptism. And did you also know that in this verbal imperative of disciple, listen to this, it is a second person. A second person. Pronoun that is used. It's like you or you all. Or like we would say in the South, y'all. Y'all. You all. Yes, you. You all. Y'all. Disciple. As you're going, going along, doing what you do, going wherever you go, disciple. Your well-worn path that you walk every day. Listen to me. Your well-worn path that you walk every day, that's where you fulfill the Great Commission. In teaching. Jesus says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, Lord, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And this is not like taking the Gospels and making textbooks, textbook out of it. Paul would implore us, he would implore us to rightly divide the word of truth, to properly handle the word of truth. It doesn't say anything about the teachings of Paul, the other, but that's but the heart of what Jesus was saying. He taught so much about the, the Holy Spirit and, and following the Holy Spirit. He even said that the Spirit of truth will guide you into all truth. It's not like taking the Gospels and making them like a textbook. He's talking about people coming into a relationship with Him and where the Spirit leads them and guides them and reminds them about Jesus and what He said and what He did and what Jesus was about. And there's so much even more that what He accomplished on the cross that the Holy Spirit guides and teaches and the writings of Paul and the other people of Scripture. It suggests a lifelong learner who's properly handling and dividing the word of truth. To every ethnicity in the world. You see, Jesus had such a heart that the gospel would go outside Jerusalem to the Gentiles and all the nations of the earth. At the end of it, he gives us one of his greatest promises. He says, and lo, I lo, and lo, and lo, and lo, I am what? I am with you always. I'm with you always. I'm with you always. So, as I disciple, listen to me. As I disciple, I have within me the very one who knows how to do it perfectly. guiding me and showing me how to do this thing. I'm so thankful in my life 
that people came alongside me years ago, even today, to share, to teach, to challenge. So, so thankful. And I hope you have that in your life. I hope you're seeking out relationships where people can pour into you and invest in you, help you as a disciple, a student, a learner, someone who's following after Christ. And if you don't have that, one of the reasons why the body of Christ exists, but maybe you need some special relationships in your life of people coming alongside you. But then you take that and you reach out to another. And discipleship needs to be constant. It needs to be regular. It needs to be a routine part of life. It can't be checking in here and then gone there and checking in here and gone. It has to be very intentional. would implore you make sure your kids, your grandkids yourself has the opportunity and is taking advantage of the opportunities for someone to regularly and routinely pour and invest in their life that they might be a maturing disciple and one day God will use them to reach another As you stand with us this morning. Thanks for joining us on the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. That's it for this week's teaching, but you can always find more on our website, firstmissionary.net. We'd also like to encourage you to like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you benefited from this week's lesson, be sure to share it with your friends and family, then leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.